Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the Take Command podcast. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. He's Logan. I'm Craig. If you're new to the show, uh, welcome. Make sure you subscribe while you're here, wherever you're listening or watching right now. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a like too. We promise you will like the 44-ish minutes still to go on this here podcast. Uh, We will get into practice in just a moment as OTAs are underway in Ashburn. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon after the second OTA. Logan, you were there, but the big topic is about who was not there. Chase Young predominantly, but Montez Sweat and Charles Leno also not attending. Um, We talked about this a little bit on on the first part of the week, but what do you make of this now that we know, you know, Leno not there? Uh, he did uh, play in, in this system before in Chicago uh, under Matt Nagy, but then you also have Sweat and Young not attending as they enter the final years of their contract. What do you make of it? Um, you know, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I think to me, it doesn't like we think we talked about this earlier in the week. It doesn't really bother me that like a guy like uh, Sweat isn't here. I know it probably should bother me more. Like old Logan, it probably would have bothered a lot. But I just feel like you know who he is. Like he knows the defense. He's been healthy. He's been consistent. And I think he's probably trying to le- – I have no no inside information on this, but he's probably trying to leverage some type of contract negotiation. That would make sense. Um, same thing with Leno, I think probably to a certain extent, maybe an extension or a restructure. Uh, I, I do think the interesting one is Chase. And I think it's interesting because of kind of the offseason indications that he's gotten from the team you know, in terms of like not renewing his fifth year option, which again, if I'm his agent, I don't really even care that much because I get to make more money if they have to franchise me and I get to hit the open market sooner anyway. So not a huge deal, but also I think just from like my own kind of like, what kind of messaging am I trying to send? Like if, if it was me, I'd, I'd come. And I think like we talked about, Payne did an excellent job of coming to OTAs, being part of the meetings, being part of the, the individual and then, you know, didn't even do any team. And we'll talk about this more later. But right now, they're not doing a whole bunch of team. Like, I mean, the def- offensive defensive line are pretty much, they have one team period. Everything else is some ver- ver- like some version of team skeleton, which is, you know, kind of the interior route runners versus linebackers and safeties, um, outside skelly, and then seven on seven. And then there's one team period that's like 20 plays. So there's a lot of route volume, a lot of pass game volume in right now. But in terms of what the D-line and the O-line are doing, it's a lot of individuals. So... I think, um, you know, he, the, the time in the classroom, like we talked about, is the thing that's really valuable. And the fact that he's not here for that, um, I, I think it's just it's a decision that I probably wouldn't make. But again, like I was a very different type of 
I, I, my, my experience is much different than Chase's, and I think he can inform that however he wants. So I hold strong on what I said yesterday on the radio, which is this isn't about optics. This isn't about messaging. This isn't about any of the stuff that I think a lot of people make it out to be. Because at the end of the day, if Chase went on Instagram live and was like bleep Ron Rivera, bleep this, bleep that, like if he went off, right? And was like, they don't want to pay me, whatever. And he showed up in training camp and he showed up during the season and he got 16 sacks, they'd resign him. It's yeah. not about the optics. It's not about the storylines. It's not about any of that. What do you mean? Can so, you elaborate on that? Yeah. So like it, a lot of people are talking about, you know, building trust and all those kinds of things like these, these intangible, uh, like facets to the story to me, what this is about and why this is a bad decision for chase is this is a chance for him to become a better football player and he's passing it up. And I understand there is work he can do on his own to still become a better football player. So it's not all or nothing. But it's, are you maximizing your chances to be an effective player this season in a season where your earning potential uh, is is going to be decided? Or not your earning potential, it's not even potential anymore, where your earnings will be decided for the future. And so to me, it's about like, are you, it's not, it's not like I'm mad at him because he hasn't proven anything and I, I just can't believe this, this middle finger he's giving to the team because it's not that it, it's, it's voluntary. He's allowed to not do this if he wants to go. And, and maybe he knew the practice plan. It was like, look, I'm still working on some stuff and I feel really comfortable with, with the routine I'm in next week. I, you know, when you guys do more team drills, I'll be there. Like, we don't know that yet, sure. right? but he is missing an opportunity to become a better football player to get reps in, you know, however, let's say he gets 10 to 12 of those 20 team reps to do individual drills with his coaches, to be around and in the classroom. And I do think front to the extent that there is kind of the, the messaging to the team, it's just like, do you want to be a part of the team? And Cam Curl today said after practice, Cam Curl, who is barely participating in the actual drills said, I, I'm just coming to work. I'm, I like being with my guys. I like being a part of the team. I like being here. And I think that's one thing that you hear consistently when athletes retire is like they miss the locker room. They miss the camaraderie. They miss being around their teammates. And my question is, why doesn't Chase Young value that stuff the same as most other football players? And not to say that he has to do that to be a great player. He could still take this path and have a 16 sack year because he's ultra talented. And if he puts it together and, and he, he could still be very, very good or even great, but it does leave questions of like, okay, if this is important to 95% of guys, why is it not important to you? Well, so, I mean, I think you kind of contradicted yourself there a little bit because it is about the messaging. It's about the message to the staff, to the team, about how much you like football and how much you want to be here. And I think yeah. like, and like, so to me, like when I look at that, when you talk, I, I don't think, I don't disagree with anything you said, just the way you characterized it. Like ultimately that's what we're talking about is like, does he want to be a part of this organization? Like it's, it's, it's just, uh, you know, I coach high school football. I, I, you know, you train, like you're around athletes, you kind of understand how they tick. I played for a long time and I kind of felt like this whole thing was like, Hey man, like we are not, happy and again i don't have any inside information on this this is just me like basing it on my experience when this has happened before sure. and i've observed this like you know the team is not happy with what you've been doing like basically and one of the things we're not happy with is that you haven't been around for off season and you're right we cannot impact you or force you to come it's not mandatory 
but like we'd like you to be here it's kind of the the, the vibe i got right from this whole thing and right. the fact that you're just kind of turning your nose at it again i don't think he's not he's not sticking the middle finger to ron none of that's going on i don't think that's a terrible thing but like they asked you basically to come they kind of said we we'd like him here and he's not here right. and i think that's that the, from a messaging standpoint from a want to standpoint that's the thing i think that that gets me a little bit as a, as a former player if a guy did that in the locker room i'd be like man that's that's an interesting move i mean i'm not going to fault him for making his own choices like because that's his his prerogative but in the back of my yeah. mind if he was on my team i'd be like man that's surprising so so i guess what i mean by the messaging versus to, to kind of clarify because i see what you said about me contradicting myself yeah. the messaging stuff can be overcome and that's why I, I think that's secondary to what can't be overcome is not being good enough on the field right and i think chase is passing up an opportunity to become the best football player he can be and so it's not about like why you do that it's about the fact that when he gets out there and plays he's not going to be as good at football as he would have been if he had showed up now is that can I guarantee that's the case? No, I don't know what he's doing now. It's hard to quantify, obviously, how much one practice or one week of practices work in May. But certainly, this is his best opportunity to get better. He is not taking it, and he cannot overcome a lack of production. That is that is the thing that ultimately will decide how much he earns. So while, yes, the, the, the message it sends and all that kind of stuff it factors into this, and it makes it easier to follow and digestible in terms of a storyline, it doesn't matter if he produces. Right. And I just think what he's doing is not giving him as good of a chance to produce. And for that reason, this is a mistake by him. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, and like I said, this is a very interesting OTA structure. You know, I haven't, I think this is the way a lot of teams are going. I like the structure. I think this is, it's good. I, I, I like it. I think it's By good. the way, something the enemy is certainly influenced because oh, this is not how they've done it before. Yeah, I would 100% say that. But the O-line and the D-line are just kind of doing an hour and 15 minutes of individual, you know? And so maybe chase feels like that would be better served doing other stuff but i personally think like come do a cam curl come don't practice yep. and just be in meetings like no one's gonna no one's gonna care about that no one's gonna right. care there's a ton of walkthrough in this phase like there's a ton of time to be on the board be around the guys and then i don't care fly your guy out from denver and then go do that practice afterwards like you know what i mean right. like there's a lot of we talked about that last year there's a lot of ways around this and so I don't know. You're right. Like if he comes out and produces, no one's going to care. He's going to get paid. Everyone's going to be excited, right? He's arrived. He's the guy who we thought he was great. I'm going to be the first one to say that. But I do think these are weird decisions to be making right now. They just seem like there's like a lack of professionalism, I think. And he may have communicated mm -hmm. with Ron. He may have communicated with the staff. And this is totally. And, and to Chase's credit, Ron did say there has been communication. Good. They are in contact. So. Yeah, right. And so, but it just seems like a weird, like a weird decision. Like this yes. is, this is not going to be that hard. It optically it's good. You know, from a professional standpoint, to your point, it's good. You're going to get, be a better football player. It's just, it, I don't understand the motivation really, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I, I don't, I, and again, I've never been that guy. I've never really understood that. Cause it's, again, it's, I don't care who I'm working with in the off season. You're not going to be able to mimic the stuff you're getting here. You know, just the, the equipment that they have, even for individuals, the equipment they have, you know, the 20 reps of team, you know, whatever it is, like that's valuable time. And then getting in the context of building the relationship with my fellow position mates, understanding what the defense is looking for, all that stuff. And so I don't know, I think um, it, it's, a, it's a little bit kind of confounding in my opinion, but I've yeah. seen guys miss and then play really well. So it doesn't, it, sure. it's like not in, if he does play well, everything's gonna be fine. And if he's confident, so he can do that. Great.
Yeah. So the one question I do have in terms of his side of it, if you will, the one valid thing where I don't really have a great retort is he can't get hurt if he's not out there. And this is a year where he's obviously got to produce and he can't produce if he's hurt. And we've seen guys get hurt in OTAs. Obviously, Armani Rogers goes down yesterday. You know, I think a lot of Commanders fans think about Ruben Foster a couple of years ago when he goes down, yeah. you know, just it happens. It's, yeah. you know, these things can also happen in individual workouts, but, you know, they have they tend to happen, uh, you know, with with I don't know. And that's kind of my question with some level of frequency at OTAs. What is the level, though, in terms of the risk of, of him uh, getting hurt and, and that being a, a reason why he would sit out knowing that this is the final year of his contract and he's got to be available when the, the fall comes around? I mean, I personally don't think I personally don't think that holds any water, right? Because if you're training the way you're supposed to be training away from the facility, you're exposing yourself to injury risk. Like Kiko Alonso, we have the same agent. He tore his ACL doing linebacker drills, like getting ready for OTAs. And right. thankfully, the team picked up his contract and like took care of him, but they don't have to, right? And that that happens. That happens all the time in the offseason. There was an offensive lineman, I forget his name. He was with Baltimore last year. He, he tore his Achilles, not in team activities, but training on his own. And like, it's part of the deal, like to, to train at the level required to be functional in NFL, on an NFL field. There's a certain amount of risk associated with it. So if he's training the way he should be training away, like, Based on what I've seen the defensive line doing here, the risk is essentially the same. Like there's there's no difference in risk unless you're really, really being uber conservative with your with your own personal team, which is fine. But then I do think, like we've talked about, you're exposing yourself to a certain level of risk when you come back and have to play uh, during you know mandatory minicamp or whatever it is. So uh, I, 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 I guys say that I don't want to get hurt. I understand that. In a more, you know, like Baltimore, for example, they do a very, very competitive um, OTA period. I get it, right? You don't get a lot of time to warm up. It's a little bit dicey, whatever it is, right? But ultimately, like in this situation, in the context of what they're doing here, I don't. I, I think the risk is probably the same, or, or at least comparable. If you know what I'm saying, so. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. And that's. You know, that's that's ten that tends to be where I land. It's like there's no good retort other than like there's no logic thing, there's no like rhetorical, you know, mechanism to answer the question other than it's the same risk he would have on a field in Denver or wherever else. Like and, he's, and, he's, and the the only thing I could possibly consider is that you are with some guy who is dialed in to the nines for you personally, understands how you lift understands the field work you need is watching film with you is doing everything you possibly could like o-line masterminds does this a little bit which is why i think maybe leno feels comfortable with like lifting like they're watching film they're breaking down offenses they have i think um the guy manny weather has offensive installs that he uses with the guys there from different teams like he's very dialed in and so maybe Leno feels okay missing because of that. But I yeah. don't, from what I understand and what I've seen of Chase, and it's only the stuff he puts on Instagram, so it's not super comprehensive. I don't think his team is structured that same way necessarily. So that's where I would be like, well, you know, get around the team, get around ball. And to Cam Curl's point, which I think is an excellent point, like guys who like football have a hard time staying away from football. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, the other... Um, Co like comparison that I've seen that I, I liked and wanted to get your opinion on is I actually had a YouTube commenter uh, say like, it's kind of like Terry missing last year um, in that we saw 
the impact it had offensively. Obviously, their situations are very different. So right. I, when I first read that sentence, I was like, I'm sorry, what, Terry? No, that dude has actually like been awesome uh, his entire career as opposed to Chase, who has, has had one solid year and then otherwise been disappointing. Um, but we saw Terry and Carson early last season, not on the same page. And it was pretty easy to ascribe it back to them, not having any reps together in the spring, especially considering Carson and Jahan uh, were pretty locked in in training camp. So when we talk about all three of these guys, sweat, who I worry the least about because he has had a ton of reps over the course of his career with the guys he'll be playing with um, in terms of sweat and, or in terms of Allen and pain, obviously. Um, but Chase and then ultimately uh, Leno on the offensive line with the whole new unit, uh, you know, Cosme, the only guy who's going to be on the field that was on the field last year, uh, but obviously in a different position. How concerning is it that that Sweat and uh, Young and Leno are not here from a cohesiveness standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you know, defensive line's probably like the least, you know, least important position in terms of cohesiveness because the rules tend to be the, the simplest. But I do think that this defensive line is at their best when they're all kind of rushing together. They're rushing off of each other. They understand kind of what each person's goals are, you know, and I enter, and this is something you get kind of anecdotally as you talk, like some guys prefer rushing with Montez because they've worked with Montez more over the course of, you know, the last two years because Chase has been out and they don't quite understand and feel out what Chase is doing. So I do think that there's value there. There's always value. You know, it's a team game. You got to work together. You got to understand the calls, understand the communication. So um, I, I think it's not as important as other positions, but I do think it's important for, for Leno, it is a little surprising because it is a new system, but also I do think that this system, just in the in the limited exposure I've had the last two days watching practice and then watching all of Kansas City stuff, I think is an offensive line that it's actually going to help him, an offensive system that's going to help him a lot. It's going to insulate him a lot. It's going to protect him, not going to put him out there the same way. And so I do think his production, just from a default standpoint, point will be better. And like you said, he's been exposed to this offense before. Maybe he feels like he can pick it up really quick. He's a 10-year vet, whatever he is. Like, I don't think this is a huge, a huge thing. But, um, you know, in terms of the hierarchy, like I think Leno, because it's an offensive player, they have to know a little bit more. It is significant. I think Montez has been around a ton. The guys know him really well. And I think Chase would probably be the second most important just because he hasn't been – and it's not his fault, you know, some of it. The injuries kept him away from kind of building a chemistry with the guys, which I do think leads to better rush units. So that would be my one thought on that. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. 
Take a Man Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And that leads nicely, Logan, into what we saw at practice today. More specifically, what you saw at practice today, because I saw a couple of clips on Twitter. Uh, you were there. You've also had a chance to buzz through the film mm -hmm. uh, real quick. So when you talk about big picture stuff, let's not even get into like the schematic stuff that we've seen from the enemy, all that yeah. structure, tempo of practice. Yeah. What is EB's influence in, in terms of how this OTA looks compared to years past? Yeah, I think that's been the most interesting thing about it. It's like they do their kind of traditional Indo. But there's not like Indo directly into like team run, uh, team red zone, third down. It doesn't go like that. There's no team periods or there's very few team periods, I should say. So it starts off with like team Skelly, which is like, you know, tight end, uh, two tight ends, a running back or a fullback versus four linebackers and safeties. And they kind of work mass match pass concepts. And then the receivers go kind of shell coverage down on the other end or they, they, they go against the DBs in some type of shell coverage. So they are running the the, the skill position guys are running a ton. They are running a ton of reps, a ton of routes, and it's kind of under the guise of these different, um, you know, different kind of drills. You know what I mean? Like instead of yeah, saying, I saw today there's like some four on four type of stuff. That's and, that's and the skelly two on that's twos, skelly. Right. right? As opposed to you know just one one on ones or you know maybe occasionally you get two on twos. You're getting more complete route concepts. Yeah, and so then they do a ton of seven on seven. I think they. Um, Yesterday or two days ago, they did about 30 plays of seven on seven and they do seven on seven in the field. They do seven on seven in the red zone and they started the seven on seven red zone stuff earlier. Right. And I think that's probably something they brought in from Kansas City. And that's what you see more skilled offenses or more dynamic offenses doing earlier in the process. It used to be like, hey, day one install is first and second down. So we're going to do first and second down stuff and then we'll do that for three days. And then we'll get to third down. And then our last thing is red zone because it's the most specific thing we do. I think teams have kind of realized that those situations, third down, red zone are more important. So they start prioritizing those a little bit differently. And, and I think you see that with the OTA period right now. That's that's a big part of what they're doing. And so the receivers are running a ton of routes. Um, the thing that sticks out to me as individual, we got to watch a lot of individual today, is uh, we watched the receivers and the quarterbacks. It was Brissett and from down at our end and then uh, um um taylor, not sam. taylor sam was down at the other end with the other quarterback from fordham the the rookie guy so mm -hmm. but eb was standing there they were running 10 yard out routes and he st stood there in front of the receiver line and watched specifically where they put their foot in the ground for 10 players in the row and if you didn't hit your depth he would say get your depth and he was very demonstrative and loud about it Earlier in the Skelly, like later in the Skelly part of practice, like um, Gibson went the wrong way coming out of the huddle. He didn't know exactly what to do. Gave him a nice stern talking to, brought the huddle back together, and then they rebroke it. And I just thought like the attention to detail that he's shown already is very, very high. You know, they, they're running a lot of screens. The screen game, the details on the screen game are much, much better already, right? The details with alignments, the details with chips. You can just tell that's something that's going to be infectious. And I think that's something that I get very excited about it. I don't want to say it feels like a real offense because what they were running last year was a real offense, but the details, the crispness, um, and the kind of the competitiveness over the last two days is something that I wasn't expecting because usually when you install a new offense, the defense, especially one that's been here for four years, is light years ahead. But here you've got a, an offense that looks pretty sharp and looks pretty good. And I think that is um, kind of my thousand foot view of the first two days, you know? That is music i think to everyone's ears yeah. it's what we thought eb would be uh it's what he was promised to be and 
uh, certainly seems to be delivering so far. In terms of schematics, there's not a lot of team stuff, um, but what can you tell just in terms of drills and stuff too? Like, are they working a lot on some of the RPO footwork and some of the the ball handling and things like that? You know, route concepts that, that look familiar from what you've seen in Kansas City's film. Like, what are what are the things that are the same, different? You know, from from last year, uh, both what they ran here and what the enemy was running in Kansas City. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the thing that sticks out to me is, I mean, a million things, but one, the, the most definitive is probably the um, the use of different personnel groupings and how he uses them, right? It's, you know, it's predominant, like, so they're running a lot of plays, you know, like, I don't want to make it think like they're running, they're, they're running a ton of plays. I think they're running about 50 plays of like team related stuff, team pass related stuff, and it's all pass and they run like two runs in the, in the, in the day, right? And um and it was interesting. Uh, someone made a comment that was like, oh, you know, um, our screen game is actually our run game. So even though we have, only have two called runs in the whole practice, we're going to get more reps on the screen game. And everyone always wonders why Andy Reid is so good at the screen game. It's just because he prioritizes it. He prioritizes yep. the heck out of it. And so you're seeing that already. And I think he'd be probably learned and took that. So what I'll say is the, the diversity of the um, personnel groupings and how he uses kind of Cole Turner John Bates, um, you know, Logan Thomas, Curtis Hodges to kind of a like what he's asking them to do. Like today, Curtis Hodges caught a speed out at 10 yards from a bunch, a position that would normally be required for the wide receiver. But the receiver is kind of setting the pick for him to get open on this route. I thought, wow, that's really that's a really easy throw. It's a really easy catch. And you're allowing this guy to use his athleticism to make this play for you. Right. And then you get in a lot of of the back out of the backfield very quickly, stressing the defense with um, with overloads, meaning like going from a two by two to a three by one kind of on the snap and getting people out in the route, um, the protections, the play actions. It's it's a very diverse, challenging offense that presents multiple looks to the defense. And the, in terms of concepts, it's all concepts that you see from around the league. I think the thing that separates, especially this early in the process, is just how formationally how from a personnel grouping standpoint, he's getting to these concepts. And I think that is something that is exciting. And there are little wrinkles to some of the concepts that you see from Kansas City. Um, you know, for example, they ran a mesh concept today where it looked like, you know, they're running across the middle of the field and these the the two receivers, the tight end and the, the slot receiver usually just cross and then run to the flats afterwards. But one of the receivers, um, the receiver after he crossed the tight end, instead of running straight across the formation, like he's running to the, the opposite flat, stopped, ran vertical, and basically ran like a 10-yard sit. And the defense was expecting the the crossing routes, and they mm -hmm. separated and spread out accordingly, and the, the hole right over the football was wide open. I thought, well, that's a nice little wrinkle to that play, you know, a play that everyone sees, everyone runs that play, but it just is a little bit of window dressing that's going to give you, that's going to make it a little bit easier for the quarterback. So, I mean, you know, I, I watched yesterday's practice. I'm watching uh, today's practice again after being out there on the field. And I just, it's it's almost challenging offensively to kind of keep track of everything. Unlike last year, where it was a little bit more stagnant and it was a little bit easier to kind of monitor. This year, um, so far anyway, feels dramatically different. Yeah, definitely. All right, quarterbacks. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a lot of team reps to be split up, but how did they split them and, and how did both guys preset and how it'll look? So again, like just to make this clear, there are they are kind of together, right? And they are doing like ones, twos, and threes, and there are enough reps to get that done. It's just not with the offensive line. So instead of doing 50 plays of team, they're doing 20 plays of team, and the rest is seven on seven. 
So you right. are getting a lot of look at the quarterbacks and what they're doing. And it's been Sam Howell with the ones, at least as far as I can tell, almost every single time. And quite frankly, like he looks like he deserves it. You know, like he, he looks very sharp. The ball is coming out of his hands nice. He's been very accurate. It's been a couple times where the defense has played good coverage. He's had to hold on to the ball. At this time of year, I don't like seeing that personally, but that happens. That's part of this this time of year. Um, and he just looks very comfortable. You know, in routes on air, accuracy is good. Ball velocity is great. Like, I don't want to overhype him because there's a lot of time left to go, but looks good. I'm, I'm just going to say yeah. looks good. Brissett looks good. Um, he's working with the twos predominantly, and that's a little bit more challenging because you got some younger guys in that group, uh, guys who aren't overly experienced all the time. Um, and so it gets a little bit messy and you can tell he's kind of feeling his way through some new concepts. Like there's stuff that I think, um, that I undervalued about this offense when I was watching Kansas city, but the quick game specifically is something that they've really been leading on the last couple of days. You know, it's like three-step drops, slants, flats, Mm -hmm. sticks. Um, what else do you run hitches, stuff like that. And I think, um, there's times where it's there, but he's not used to kind of how quickly it's coming up and he's just hanging on the ball a little bit long. So I think he'll get better as they go. Um, Fromm's actually looked pretty good, you know, with the threes. He's, he's made some nice throws. Arm looks live. I threw a pick today, but I think, you know, pretty solid from all three guys. And the thing that I love about it is they're throwing a ball in Skelly. They're throwing a ball in that 2v2. They're throwing a ball in seven on seven. And EB is coaching immediately. Hey, man, it's a, the ball's complete. You can say, hey, I want this. Throw. I can, you can see his mouth. He's a loud talker. Oh, I want to throw to this spot. Like, don't hold it that long. And I'm just – that, to me, I think is going to accelerate that quarterback growth from everybody because they're all going to get that feedback on the field. They're going to get in the meeting room. They're going to get it pre-practice in the meeting. So, um, you know, it's day two. So everyone just chill out. Can we get that yeah. chill out? Everyone chill out. But I'm cautiously optimistic about the direction the offense is going. So I would just underscore here to go back into our first segment. Like that's why being around matters, right? Because if you're a guy like Chase Young and Jack Del Rio is giving a coaching point or your D-line coach is giving a coaching point to someone else, even if you're not in the drill on that rep, like there's value there. You understand what the coach wants. You can learn something. You can't do that going one-on-one against a bag. Like it just is not a thing. And so again, like if, if he's sitting out this week to work on some individual stuff because he knows this is not a very heavy week for that kind of coaching, even those kinds of situations for O-line, D-line, because there's only 20 team reps in the period and everything else is fairly pass-heavy skeleton type of stuff, yeah. fine, yeah. whatever. Um, but if he continues to miss this and you know they get to a point where they're working on the run game, they're working on you know some some more full team type of stuff, and he's still not there. That is the value that he's missing. So I just yeah. I thought that was a, a because of uh, the way you described that. I thought that was good to underscore yeah. um, on how the footwork um, that was kind of the big thing for him last year in camp, uh, and then improving on that, it got better. Still some questions about some stuff in the Dallas game, uh, but how does he look now in terms of comfort? And, you know, also it, I know it's hard to tell because like, can, can, and let me even ask you this. Can you tell, um, you know, without knowing the coaching points exactly yeah. uh, at this point of the off season? It's hard to tell. I, I will say I forgot his number and I was like, who's 14. Like he looks pretty sharp on his drops, you know, and it's <laughs> him obviously. Um, yeah. So I do think he looks better. Um, again, yeah. part of it is just, I'm still getting a feel for like what they're doing offensively. They are doing more stuff. It's more stuff from the gun. Um, that's makes sense because that's what they did in Kansas city and Sam looks better. 
from the gun because that's what we did in college. So I think that all makes sense. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it'll be, that'll be something to kind of keep an eye on. But to me over the first couple of days, he, he looked good, you know, and like, I'm, I'm happy. And again, there was a couple of hiccups here and there from everybody, but I think it's like the ta- the arm talent is exceptional. And if he can kind of continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to develop, you know, it could be special. And again, second day of OTA, everyone calm down, including myself. So just take a deep breath. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I'd rather hyperventilate and get really mad on the internet about Sam Howell, that he's, yeah. gonna be, he's going to the hall of fame. Right. Tomorrow. Right. Um, but the other interesting thing uh, before we move on from the segment is um, yeah. the defensive backs. Mm-hmm. They've been doing a lot of different stuff out there. Cam's obviously not practicing because of whatever is going on with him. Is he holding out for what's, has he said anything? Uh, I, I think it was actually, I don't know. I didn't see anything specific in terms right. of reasoning. I'm sure he did. I didn't get it. I read some quotes. I didn't read the full right. okay. press conference. Um, but he did say, you know, the quote that kind of went around, uh, was that, that he did not want to, or he wanted to be there, right? right. Like he just, he wanted to be around the guys. He likes being there. Yeah. And you know, if he's holding out for an extension, good for him, you know, whatever, but he's yeah. here and I think he's doing it the right way. Cause I think quite honestly, I think Duran showed you the best way to get this done, you know, stick around, be around the team and then have a good year and you're going to get paid. So, um, but the defensive backs, he's not practicing. So Percy Butler has been in the post Forrest has kind of been the, um, you know, the, the, the strong safety, there's no really strong or free safety in this look, but if I had to kind of assign it ones, you know, those are the two guys playing, uh, Quan's worked in a little bit. Forbes has pumped it at the nickel. St. Juice has been at the nickel. Um, the rotation in the back end has been really interesting. Jamin Davis is out. So Cleek Hudson's mm-hmm. been playing linebacker and then Cody Barton's the other linebacker. Um, and it's the speed that those safeties have, you know, is pretty dynamic. And it's just like, if they can figure it out, and especially when Cam gets back, like that group could be very, very special. Oh, um, you know, Emmanuel Forbes talking about him. He has a pretty yeah. good couple of days. Sometimes I feel like he's a little out of control. Got bodied a little bit today by um, Curtis Hodges, not Curtis Hodges, um, Curtis Cole, Cole, Cole Turner on okay. a route today. Kind of collision, couldn't quite sit down on it. You know, I, I think I'm just going to be hyper aware of any time there's contact with him, but looks sharp, looks fast, able to run with Curtis uh, Samuel. Had a go today with Curtis Samuel, ran with him in a nice way. So, um, I, I, that group is going to be so fun to watch. And if they can develop, you know, 25%, that's probably high 15% over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, like that group's going to be scary. Cause Quan does an excellent job at a man to man coverage rep on Logan Thomas, uh, the first day and just looked like was in his pocket and made a nice play on the ball. Like they, they've got some ball players over there. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see how that group develops. Um, before we move on to some other positional stuff uh, on the offensive side to wrap up the show, how did they actually line up in the limited number of team reps? Like, was it Kendall and BSJ? Was it Forbes? Like, do you remember the? Uh, so it just depends. Lineup? Like the first day, you know, it was probably Forbes in the, as the nickel, and then today it was probably predominantly uh, Benjamin St. Juice in the nickel. Um, I think they're just going to kind of tr- cross, like the same way you would an offensive line. You're going to cross train get people in good spots and see what the best solution is at the end of the year, you know, when season comes around. But I think, I really think like they all look like they're going to settle in fine either way. But, um, you know, it's the back end safety guys that I think I'm excited about the most because the, the speed that Butler has, like he covers so much ground from that post spot and they haven't really had a guy quite like that in a while. So um, that's pretty exciting. 
Yeah. The last guy they had with that kind of speed was probably Monte Nicholson. And Monte had this like five game stretch where it looked like he was going to go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and then then like reality set in. Yeah. Um, and obviously he had a lot of other stuff that happened as well. He was with the DC Defenders this year. That was What's crazy. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. he was there and so was Swearinger. And I was like, I covered I an NFL Swearinger. football team where this was the starting safety duo. <laughs> um, but, you know, that back end speed to be able to cover things sideline to sideline means so, so much to a defense. And so, yeah, Butler can be that guy. Like, that's that's fantastic. And obviously, He'll Cam's be... not even out there, which is crazy. Right. So, right. Exactly. They just got a lot of good football players. What a concept. What a concept. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. All right, let's wrap up with uh, the. Well, let's start with the tight end position. Uh, obviously, the biggest bummer of the day. Ron Rivera announces that Armani Rogers uh, had an Achilles injury. Ian Rappaport later reporting that it was indeed a full tear of the Achilles, so he is not going to be able to play this season. He is someone who I had extremely high hopes for. Me too. Such an incredible athlete. Thought he could develop into a starter uh thought he he would win the job just because of his skill um and that he could potentially turn into not just a starter for this team on a on a room full of uh what's the word i want to use here uh well i mean logan thomas is kind of proven but other than that unproven tight ends like yeah. he would just be the best of the bunch i think with his skill set he could have been a really really excellent football player uh in this scheme knowing what the enemy's done with tight ends in the past unfortunately that's not going to happen so what does that leave for the tight end room now? Uh, and obviously, you've already talked about how Biennemi is is using some of these guys. And so I don't know if that favors – it's more day two of OTAs, but if that favors any any particular skill set and how that matches with the guys in the room. Well, right now, I think I think they're going to have to bring in another body just for camp. The way these guys are running right now, it's, it's a lot of reps. So they're going to need to get somebody in here just to kind of help legs, I think, a little bit. But I think these are the four guys that are going to be on the roster. Like, you know, Curtis, they haven't blocked anybody yet. They haven't had pads on yet. But, you know, and I think Curtis, if I'm being hypercritical of him, I think there's times where you say, man, is he playing as hard as he can? But when he runs, he has your fourth tight end. Hell yeah. Like, that's perfect. You know, Cole Turner is kind of picked up where he let off where he left off last, you know, um, training camp, like where he just looked like the most dominant route running tight end on the roster. Um, just his ability to kind of be sudden and catch contested passes and like he's going to be a weapon. And I think Armani and him were going to kind of be competing for that. Um, I forget the guy's name, but in Kansas City, their third tight end was a converted wide receiver who was mm -hmm. 6'6", 230 uh, pounds. Um, was it uh, Fortson? Jody Fortson? Yeah, Fortson. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah. you know, they put him out on slants and have him run fades. And I think that role now is definitively Coles. And I think Curtis can push for that, but it's probably more of a why. So he's going to back up Bates. And, you know, they use a, a blocking Y a ton in this offense. I think Logan Thomas is going to be your Travis Kelsey light, at least as of right now. And obviously that can change. But I think Logan's looked good. He's moving well. Um, you know, I think he's still kind of figuring the offense out. And I think EB's kind of figuring out how to best to utilize him. Because, you know, to me, Logan is a tremendous athlete. But he's he excels in kind of that basketball player role like attacking the seam, the deep cross, short area quickness stuff, you know, is he's fine at it, but I, I wouldn't say that's like his superpower necessarily. So I think that they'll figure that out a little bit and, and kind of get him in some more roles where he can, you know, run a slant or, you know, do something and, and see how it looks. But I think that's your group. And I think you feel pretty good about it, quite honestly. And, and I obviously, 
I'm super bummed for Armani. I'm super bummed for him because, A, that injury is terrible. And, um, you know, like it's it's just a long rehab. And for a guy like him, he was he was going to be that guy. Like he has those receiver traits. They were going to use him. He played really well last year in his minutes. So super bummed for him. Wish him a speedy recovery. And um, But I do think the four guys remaining are, um, are pretty good football players and they give you a good opportunity. And, you know, like – I, I, can't, I said this last year, and this was, you know, with Armani in the mix, but I do think that these four guys, like when you see them on the field, they look like a bunch of freaks. They're all 6'6 plus. They all run pretty good. Like even Bates, like Bates has been lined up wide a couple of times running like digs and stuff. And like because of his big body, you can catch a ball in a corner, you know, so they're going to find ways to maximize these guys and put them in a good position to be successful. So while it's a bummer, Armani got hurt. You know, I think they've got they've got a lot of potential here at the position. Yeah, Eli Wolf uh, was with them in camp last year. He's mm. available. Um, he was, he was in the, the XFL too. Yeah, on the on the top of the uh, the available list, you do have a couple of vets that have done some things in this league. Uh, Cameron Brait is available. Oh, is he? Uh, Jeff, yeah, Jeff Swaim is available. Mercedes Lewis, who's thirty nine years old. That's Lewis crazy. is is he your class older than you? He's older than me. He's uh, he, I was a freshman when he was a senior at UCLA. So Damn, he's four well, years older than me. Technically, he's he's still available and, and out there. Uh, Ryan Griffin has had a couple of good years in the league. Kyle Rudolph is available. Um, so there are some veterans out there. Jesse James. Um, so I, I'm curious if they bring someone in. But I tend to think that you're right, that there's they're just going to roll with these young guys in Logan. And you know, any, anybody that was pushing for Logan Thomas to get released weeks ago, it's like, this is why you don't. Right. You know, you just... If you needed the space to sign someone, fine, but you didn't necessarily need it. And so you hang on to your guys because guys get hurt and, and, he, and them, he's, them's the breaks. And to, and to defend Logan a little bit, like he had some opportunities last year where like the quarterback didn't see him or, you know, sure. the ball's overthrown or he's not getting schemed up to get touches. And I know he that was a big point of frustration with him in that offense was that the tight end wasn't really a feature. And yeah, he, this, he certainly made that known by the end is, of last This year. is going to be a very different experience for him in that whole group. So, and, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Bates kind of adjusts to the new group because, you know, they're doing a lot of route running and that's not really his forte. But, like, what are these roles going to be? And, like I said, I think they've got some good athletes there, guys who catch the ball well, and guys that, because of their size, can be pretty big mismatches. So, How many people asked you if you were ready to come out of retirement? <laughs> um eb jokingly asked me for um rookie minicamp if i could come out for a couple of days and that i said would, i said i could probably do 15 reps is what i said so that would, i feel like that would have been fun that would have been, been that would have been great you know, you know great little content there for us i was gonna say like from, as a content piece like come on julie yeah what are you doing over there i get running I, your department rookie Let, get, get logan get logan mic'd up get him in some pads uh, figure out the liability, uh, yes. and, uh, then have the NFLPA shoot it down and say, that's not allowed. That's not uh, allowed. so, uh, last thing I want to ask you about is the O-line. Um, I, I saw Nikki Javala uh, tweeting out that Nick Gates is already like an, an, an OTA MVP. He's just yelling at people. Yeah. Um, but, but overall, and again, not a lot of team reps, not a lot of line work, but what did you see from them, uh, in the limited reps that are available? Um, yeah, so I do think that, you know, in the limited team reps, I think, you know, Cornelius Lucas is playing left tackle right now, and he does a great job. I think, uh, again, the system really helps them. It helps them not Can have to. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, so what I'll say is, like, 
So for example, you know, I coach a couple pass rushers, right? And one of the things about rushers is helping them identify when is an obvious pass rushing situation, right? And so there are certain formational tells, certain things you can do that kind of line that up and say, oh, this is when we got to pin our ears back and go. So he's pretty good. EB's good, just from like a thousand foot view of not giving you straight, um, straight tells and then making sure that he's kind of moving the launch point of the quarterback. So I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but like keepers, mm -hmm. half rolls, boots, um, play action pass. And it's not like Kyle Shanahan, like ball out, backs running downhill, like this really definitive visual that sucks the linebackers up. It's really just a thing that kind of gives the, the edge rusher a moment of like, what is this? And then the tackle can jump set the end. You know, and I think he also does a good job of using formation. So keeping guys in tight splits. So the rusher's kind of like, Am I going to get chipped? Do I need to get wider? And so you get kind of these mm. bad rush looks and then also using quick game. So, you know, rushers, you typically get a sack off of a seven step drop or a five step drop, which you wouldn't use unless it's like a longer down in distance. So quick game, like that guy gets off the ball as hard as he can and the ball's already out of his hand before he even touches the tackle. And that using screens is another way, right? Not letting them kind of find their rhythm as a rusher is a huge feature of this offense. Like when you watch the Philadelphia game last year versus Kansas City in the Super Bowl, like I, I remember I watched the first 10 or eight dropbacks. There's there are passing plays. There's one true dropback. So basically I think EB understands that the hardest thing to do in professional football outside of playing quarterback is pass protect. So I want to limit the, the true number of straight dropback pass attempts to a very small number. And if we are going to do that, I'm going to make sure you got chip help. I'm going to make sure you get alignment help just so you can kind of work and modify your set to disrupt the pass rusher. So um, that's what I'm talking about. And I think that this system, like, you know, I think Wiley's a good example. Like he's nobody's like measurable All-American right tackle. Like he never would fall in that category. He came to the league as a guard. But in this system, because of the movement that is required in, in the run game, in the screen game, uh, the athleticism it, that's required to jump set, like he's a very serviceable starter. He's going to be a plus starter for this team, right? So I think I look at that and I say, um, that's kind of what I'm talking about with that. So like, you know, in terms of um, straight rushes, right? Straight rushes for the 40 team periods they've had. I think there's two that I've counted, right? Wow. So that like that is a big priority for them. And, and so that doesn't mean they're not doing drop back passes. That means that We've got tight ends lined up tight. So we give them chip looks. We're doing a play pass. We're doing screens. We're doing quick game. We're doing keepers, like all that stuff. And it just disrupts the rusher enough where the tackle has to be on their game. But I don't have to be dialed to 11 the way I was in the la offense last year where it's like we're doing seven-step drops all the time. And we're really, ex we're, we're really exposing these guys. And that's when you really need those elite, elite pass protectors, right? Like I talked to Morgan. I talked to Trent. And one of the things they always say is like, I'm looking for tackle friendly offenses and Kyle's got a tackle friendly offense. This offense appears to be very tackle friendly. The offense up in New York's very tackle friendly with the giants, with the jets, excuse me, because it's that same, you know, West coast variation. Um, mm -hmm. And there are systems that stress the hell out of tackles. And I think this, this is going to be good for everybody across the offensive line um, in terms of making them be much more productive this year. Yeah, in terms of uh, depth chart right now, yeah. according to Ron Rivera and according to you know everything that's that we've seen, uh, Leno will be your starting left tackle. Sadiq Charles is going to get the first shot at left guard. Looks like Gates is going to get the first shot at center. 
uh, and then Cosme and Wiley on the right side. So obviously that is very subject to change depending on how the rest of the spring and ultimately the summer and fall go uh, as training camp gets underway and and practice and everything leading into week one. Uh, And, but that's, that's how we start. And uh, that's, that's all I got for the podcast. Logan, anything else to tack on here at the end? Yeah. I was going to say of, of that group, I think the big, the biggest question mark based on film from last year and based on the first couple of days has been Sadiq. I think athletically he looks he looks the part, but I think that's when I would kind of circle and be like, how does this one shake out? Um, because I think Cosby's look pretty good. I think Wiley's look pretty good. Gates, I think, has looked like uh, Nikki was saying, looked very good. But, it, you know, there's obviously inconsistencies, but, you know, on the whole, looks like they're getting what's going on. Sadiq's had a couple of mental mistakes, a couple of misses, and he's going against John Allen, so keep that with – you know, sure. whatever context you need, but I would keep an eye on that one. So, yeah. And uh, we'll see how Chris Paul does obviously ton of potential there. Um, and he's the guy that's battling for that spot. Norwell, by the way, also not at camp though. That's, that's kind of expected as they're expected to release him, but hasn't happened yet. He's also rehabbing an injury. So get, there's your get, full, get couldn't, couldn't leave the pod. Couldn't leave the pod without the Andrew Norwell update, Logan. I mean, everyone, I mean, people have been texting me about it. Like, Oh, what's going on with him? I don't know. Now, you know, I think, yeah, now you now, now you can text him back a link to this podcast and like listen to the whole thing. It's it's right there for you. Just keep on listening. Ta-da. All right. Uh we'll be back next week. Obviously, get ready for week two of OTAs. Uh and anything else that happens between now and then. For Logan, I am Craig, and we'll see you next week on Take Command.